priestess may be speaking to you, leaving breadcrumbs and giving you little nudges, asking you to step forward and live your authentic truth. In today's episode, I interview the incredible author, Dr. Sarah Coxon, about living the way of the priestess and how we can all tap into this incredible energy that exists within us and all around us. Don't miss this juicy conversation. Welcome to the Cyclical Health Podcast with me, your host, Cassandra Wilder, a naturopathic doctor and the leading expert in women's cyclical health. Let's get started. Welcome back, gorgeous friends, to the podcast. Today is a very special day because one of my dear friends is here on the podcast with me. And even though we've never actually met in person, we're definitely good friends. <laughs> we have a connection of resonance and sisterhood, and I'm so excited for this conversation that's about to unfold with all of you here. My dear guest today is Dr. Sarah Coxon, and she is an archaeologist turned yoga teacher, activist, author, and business mentor for magical women. She helps women come out of the spiritual closet and live their feminine magic, not their conditioning. So we're going to talk a lot about how the priestess shows up in our lives, and also we'll talk about her book that she recently published that maybe you saw me posting about on Instagram. It's really good. Actually, my testimonial or my I forget the term for it in a book, but my paragraph is in that book, recommending it. So you can all enjoy that. So welcome, Sarah. How are you doing today? Oh, thank you so much, Cassandra. And yes, I I believe it's called an endorsement. Ah. Um, And I'm I'm just so grateful to be here. And (laughs) I'm so excited for this conversation. Oh, my gosh. Me too. That's funny. An endorsement. Got it. Okay. Now we know. (laughs) Uh, It's so wild to me that we haven't met in person because you're in Portugal, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so I think early last year I was like, I'm coming. And then, you know, things happened in the world. (laughs) Yeah, no. (laughs) Goes without saying. We all know what happened. Um, But I love that we have this beautiful connection together and ease is always present in our conversations. So I'm just so happy you're here. Oh, I'm so happy as well. And I know it's, it's, isn't it strange to have all these kind of online friendships? Um, and it's like, I feel like, obviously, I really know you. But when I actually meet you, I don't know how tall you are. Or like, you know, I don't know how tall you are. So I can't wait to find out. <laughs> uh, that's so funny. Like, what a random thing. But you're right. You know, sometimes you're like, when you hug someone, you're like, wow, you're like so much smaller or bigger or people always say that to me when they meet me in person they're like oh I just thought you were bigger and it's probably because I'm really loud so <laughs> like, I just assumed you were a giant no I'm a midget like <laughs> oh no see I wouldn't have known that oh my gosh well, I'll be a like a giant next to you oh my gosh <sighs> well your story Sarah is really fascinating because you went from, you know, diving full on into research and in schooling. You got your PhD in archaeology, which is just so cool. Like you never hear people talk about that. Um, but then you had quite an awakening and a lot of healing and rebirthing that happened. So walk us through that journey. How did you go from the good girl in the you know scholarly space to becoming who you are now? Wow. Well, I mean, I'll try and keep it as brief as possible because it's super convoluted. And like anything, you can see the red thread when you look back, but it's really mm. twisty, turny story. But mm-hmm. I mean, it really starts from childhood. I, as a child, I, 
I intuitively felt this sense of oh, the sense of disconnection. I felt like our modern world is really lacking connection to something powerful, some ancient knowledge, some, you know, almost spiritual. Well, definitely spiritual, actually. And <laughs> so I kind of, back then, I had a very limited limited understanding of what that was. But I kind of intuitively felt, well, maybe the answers lie in the past. Maybe there's some kind of ancient wisdom that I need to connect to. So that brought me to archaeology. And at the age of 18, I decided I was going to go to university. I was going to study study archaeology. And that kind of gave way to bachelor's, a degree, and then master's, and then PhD, where I was working for an international project. Mm. And I absolutely loved the research. I loved kind of delving into the past, understanding people of the past, understanding that, you know, life isn't, it wasn't always how it is today and society wasn't always how it is today. And it was during the, it was during my time as an archaeologist that I got really interested in women and specifically the role of women throughout history. And it was during my time as an archaeologist that I started to learn that women haven't always been treated as second-class citizens and it's only really been the past four four and a half thousand years that that's been the case and prior to that women were not only equal but also revered um so yeah it was during this time that I I was getting clearer about the feminine in my own life and getting clear about the fact that actually I felt like the feminine my inner feminine was being devalued I was especially in academia I was operate I felt like I had to operate in a very masculine very driven way and so ironically I was in this archaic structure that was not allowing me to really express my feminine values if you are familiar with academic structure then you know that even the way that you research and the way that you write has to be very kind of data driven and you know you're not allowed to put any emotion in it and you have to work hard and get funding and do all this stuff and even though I was connecting to women of the past I was really still disconnected from myself so it was a piece of the puzzle but I was never destined to be an archaeologist and it was at the age of 24 when my brother died unexpectedly from a drugs overdose that uh, it was like I was just smacked awake and there was this before and after and I was halfway through writing my PhD and that was the moment I knew that I was living a life that was not really true to me even though there were certain parts of it that I loved I wasn't being my authentic self and at the age of 24 after that that's when I dove really deep into my yoga practice and from there everything unfolded Mm. isn't it funny that so many of our stories it's like and then yoga (laughs) (laughs) and the healing began (laughs) absolutely although I have to say that most people around me at that time thought that I was joining a cult (laughs) you know because what was usual for us was to go to the bar on a Friday night and I stopped doing that and I started going to kirtan and yoga practice and singing in Sanskrit and they were all like what is she doing (laughs) that was my salvation yeah yeah well there's just so much wisdom to what you've shared 
Um, and like in your book, you talk about too, that amongst all of this too, you were also going through so many different relationships that were mm -hmm. super unhealthy. And I'm just amazed that you were able to rise out of what could have been infinite excuses to stay stuck. You know, yeah. you had every reason to just put your head down and keep doing what you were doing. But I love that you had this fiery passion in you that said, no, there's more here. Yeah. And it's not always been easy, but yeah. I think that at the end of the day, there is this deep inner knowing inside that we are made for more and not necessarily more having, but more doing, more mm. expression, more being, more sense of, um, yeah, a sense of living life fully. Mm -hmm. And I knew that if I stayed in academia, I would not experience that. And I knew that if I stayed in toxic relationships, I would not experience that. So really, I think that living a meaningful, expansive life goes hand in hand with finding that inner courage and being really, really brave and also going against uh, what a lot of people think that we should be doing. Mm. Mm -hmm. That's the key word, should. Mm -mm. Yeah. It's interesting that in archaeology, you were obviously really fascinated by the feminine and maybe you would even use the word now the priestess and how years later through your own inner healing and your own work in the world, you kind of came back to that, but in a totally different way. How, yeah, yeah tell me about that. And that's exactly what I mean by the red thread. Like you can never see it at the time, but when you look back, <laughs> you're like, oh yeah. yeah. So during my time as an archaeologist, you know, I, I learned about um, what happened to women and the feminine and how it became devalued over time. Um, but I also learned that even though women in the ancient world became second-class citizens, there were portals to elevated status and power. And the most obvious portal was the role of the priestess there were many priestesses in ancient Greece and in ancient Rome who held status and power because they were seen as channels of the divine now that doesn't mean they had sovereignty over their bodies many of them were conditioned to be you know chaste and that's not com complete freedom but it's still elevated status uh, and power in a world where most women didn't have access to that so that always fascinated me. And in the role that, I, that I'm in now as a facilitator of transformation, the priestess has made herself known to me over the past few years, even more powerfully, but in a different way. For me, she's the energy of transformation. And when I embody the priestess, then I'm embodying, yeah, a channel to the divine. And in that sense, really... When we step into roles of priestesshood, what we're saying is, oh, I'm here for a greater purpose and I'm here to play my part in the evolution of this planet. Hmm. So it sounds like the priestess is more of an inner thing rather than any status or being revered in a certain way. It was like an energy or a presence even that was carried by these women and that's accessible to us too. Absolutely. You know, archetypically, she is the catalyst for change. And, you know, Carl Jung talked about archetypes. These are blueprints of consciousness that are 
accessible to each and every single one of us. They are within us. They are like seeds that we have to choose to water and nourish. So, you know, I say this to all the women that are in my community. You know, if you've been feeling this call to create or to share or to speak or to hold space or to facilitate or to be an activist, then you are hearing that call of the priestess and you are feeling the energy of the priestess. So that's the way that I conceptualize it and that's the way that I experience it. And then our work, when we recognize this, our work becomes less about us as individuals and more about being in service, not in a kind of, you know, duty bound, too much responsibility kind of way, because my goodness, the feminine knows that. But in a, in a way that says, you know, I'm here to play a part and my life is important. Mm. Powerful. What a distinction. <laughs> One is like, yeah, the doormat and the other is like the doorway. Oh, oh my gosh. That's amazing. <laughs> that should be a bumper sticker right there. <laughs> I am not the doormat. I am the doorway. I am the door. Okay. That has to happen. <laughs> Patent pending, everybody. So <laughs> that's funny. That just came right through for me when you were talking about it. So <laughs> you're channeling. <laughs> exactly. Mm. So for people that feel like they're they're getting the breadcrumbs, like the priestess is speaking to them, they know that they've been operating in the opposite way most of their life since geez, that's what our culture, you know, conditions us to do. What do those initial breadcrumbs look like? How do we know that things are starting to change and that we're being called to step forward? Mm, that's such a good question. For me, it was, there was a lot of inner contraction. So I felt it in my body, sense of um, realizing that I was on the wrong path. And a lot of fear came up. And I think that sometimes we kind of, we think we shouldn't feel fear, but actually what I've learned is that fear, on the other side of fear is desire. So if you have a lot of fear about something, it's actually lean into that fear because there's a lot of juice and a lot of wisdom there about what you actually want. Um, so leaning into discomfort, leaning into the fear, leaning into the, the shadows. Um, and for me, that looked like, you know, internally, swimming with not having clarity and for someone who was always conditioned to be quite cerebral not having clarity felt like a death but I had to be in that messy maelstrom of unknowing and not knowing you know what was going to happen next um, I had to allow myself to also be with the discomfort of not being clear on my path just yet, but knowing something was missing. So it's that path of illumination, like illuminating that something feels off. And then also externally, it looked like, you know, having arguments with family members and friends and things like that, because I started to not play into their expectations anymore. And mm. especially when I left academia, it was, you know, my parents, I love them to pieces. We have a very good relationship now, but you know, it was, it was challenging for them because suddenly I was basically doing what they had feared that I would do, which was rebel. Yeah. So we have to get really, really, um, okay with 
discomfort, internal discomfort, as things become clearer, and also the external discomfort that may arise in certain situations. Um, and really, the doorway for me has always been through my body. So really starting to cultivate that intuition through understanding my felt sense, understanding my body's reactions to situations, understanding, ah, I feel a, I feel a lot of expansion about this possibility, this opportunity, this person. I'm going to follow that. I'm going to go there. I'm going to put myself out there more. And remembering that we don't have to see the whole staircase. We just have to be open to being given a signal about what the next step is. And usually that's a bodily response. Mm-hmm. Oh, great reminder. Yeah, we, we like want to see the end, <laughs> the, the finish line before we're like comfortable to do it. But yeah, it doesn't work that way, does it? Especially in the deep inner healing priestess work. Absolutely. And it can just look really messy. Like it can look like you're having a breakdown and there'll be mm-hmm. people around you that think, that you're losing your marbles you know I definitely had a lot of that people you know if people start saying I'm really worried about you because you're acting different like I think that's a good sign (laughs) keep going (laughs) right that's true that's true because we probably have that clarity that what we were doing before wasn't working for us even though to the people on the outside they were like oh that's great we're really proud of her yes yeah absolutely and that can be addictive as well to we can get addicted to the approval of the people that we've always wanted approval from you know teachers parents friends whoever it is caretakers and so yeah sometimes we have to disentangle from that in order to be true to ourselves I wonder if that's one of the biggest wounds, why some people feel so afraid to follow the breadcrumbs or to take that first step because they are afraid of the perception of others, especially maybe their partner or their dad. Or I feel like a lot of us look for that masculine energy to validate us. And when we don't get it, it's so hurtful. Yeah, absolutely. And for, for me as a child, you know, my mom's love felt pretty much unconditional. My dad he was there's always one parent that you crave their love more than the Mm -hmm. other and for me that was my dad and so you know when I was a kid like the academic stuff you know we would pour over books together and you know he would help me with exams and that was how I got his approval and his love so can you imagine Mm -hmm. saying hey I'm actually going to disentangle from this academic thing because it's not really me and and I actually I want to go and teach yoga you know, that was, it felt like a death to me and probably to him as well, because we had to rebuild our relationship in a completely different way. And now it's stronger than ever. But there were moments when, you know, I saw him looking at me as if I was a complete alien, mm-hmm. <laughs> which, you know, yeah. to him, I was. Yeah. Yeah. You were unrecognizable because you were changing so much. Absolutely. And also really embodying the feminine as well, as I started to go deep in my yoga practice and then teaching and traveling and doing all the things that so many of us do to step out of the cage. Um, but yeah, for him, for someone who he's quite a patriarchal figure in our family, of course it was alien to him and it probably frightened him on some level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I'm glad you you two have rebuilt your relationship and that you've done that while being authentic to who you are. And obviously he loves you and he just <laughs> he just had to adjust, I suppose. Yeah, he I mean, he's he's such a wonderful man and yeah, he just had to adjust. He's he had no choice. <laughs> he knew he had no choice. <laughs> True. <laughs> uh. So when we start to live from the priestess or, you know, for example, you titled your book, The Way of the Priestess, what does that do in our lives when we finally reclaim something that we've always craved, but never had words to even describe? Hmm. So the, the title of my book is The Way of the Priestess, A Reclamation of Feminine Power and Divine Purpose. And I think that kind of encapsulates it for me. It's this sense, when I talk about reclaiming our feminine power, what I'm talking about is reclaiming our sense of value and also reclaiming as women or those who you know identify as women, but also reclaiming the feminine way. So reclaiming feminine approaches, feminine energy, feminine traits. And this can be, you know, reclaiming flow, reclaiming ease, reclaiming joy, but also reclaiming creativity, reclaiming intuition, reclaiming our emotions. That's a huge part of it. So much of that we've been taught to kind of lock away or to devalue. So it's really like elevating that into our lives. And then there's also the divine purpose part. And really, that looks like understanding as best we can in this moment, and it's always evolving, what we feel that we're here to contribute, what we feel that we are here to build as a legacy. And yeah, for for me, that's always been helping women. And it always has been since since day one. But it was really, I think it's about ownership. And I had to really own that because I was frightened to. So it's taking ownership of what we believe we're here to do, especially when we don't feel like we're qualified, especially when we don't feel like we know enough, especially when we're fearful of other people's judgment or we're fearful that, you know, we're going to fail somehow. Because this is all the stuff that will come up as we start to dive into reclaiming our feminine power and our divine purpose. But by aligning ourselves with the energy of the priestess, it kind of creates that anchor so that when that stuff does come up, we can keep coming back to our sense of mission and our sense of why. Mm-hmm. Mm. I like that you said an anchoring because as you were describing all of that, I felt like a de-armoring, like it was a mm-hmm. pulling back the layers and figuring out what's yours and what it, what is authentic to you. But the, the cord that's keeping you rooted is that anchor. And mm, that's a beautiful visual. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, it's it's more important than ever to have that sense of rooting in a world that is constantly at the moment kind of you know trying to chew us up and spit us out and you know it really feels like that and you know coming back to that anchoring and that sense of who we are um deep down and the priestess has really allowed me to to remember what I'm here for and it's and do you know what it's so powerful because 
it's so easy to get sidetracked and it's so easy to get lost, particularly online. There are so many different narratives and particularly when it comes to building a business or, you know, anything like that. And really embodying the priestess allows me to keep coming back to this sense of sacred mission and I call it sacred activism um, and to very quickly throw off anything that I've kind of unconsciously attached to myself, the shoulds, to throw it off because I'm like, oh yeah, I was trying to do it that way, but actually that's not aligned with the priestess way. Mm. I love that you're talking about the business piece because isn't that the truth? Everyone's like, you have to follow this format for success. You have to have a Facebook group. You have to. <laughs> to I don't know. Don't get me started on Facebook groups. Um, nope. <laughs> but yeah. And that's why I, I love talking to you, Sarah, because both of us have built something that we love and we're not doing it, quote, the right way. We're just showing up in the way that we like and people like it. It resonates. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that. I mean, of course, when it comes to building businesses, there are kind of universal kind of themes and practices that can definitely help. Mm -hmm. um, but really, there's no right way to build a business. And one of the things that, that I got very, very rooted in last year was that I was in a, a group mentoring call and one of the mentors went around the group and said, you know, what is your income goal for the next year? And everyone was saying, oh, multiple six figures, or I want to build a seven-figure empire, or I want to do this and stuff. And then they came around to me. <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm going to come back to, like, what feels really authentic? And I just realized, like, actually, I'm really happy with the amount of money that I'm making. Like, it's more than I ever thought I would do in my whole life. I'm not saying that I'm not open to more, but that's not the goal. And actually, the goal is to do exciting more exciting work, more revolutionary work, and also to create a lot more space so that I can grow vegetables in my garden and, you know, travel more. I mean, obviously not now. Um, and I remember like you could cut the air with like, it felt like you can cut the air with a knife. It was, I just felt so different from everyone else. And that's how I knew that I was being really, really true to myself because sometimes we can almost feel the sting of shame when we are, you know, expressing something that is authentically true, because it sometimes it goes against the grain. Mm -hmm. Usually, I think when it's in alignment and authenticity, it does go against the grain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was honestly, it was just like awkward silence. And I was like, okay, well, at least I'm really and I it's like in those moments, you get really, really clear. You're like, no, no, this is this is it. This is true for me. Mm hmm. Well, speaking of this business piece, because I like this, how does your, how has your business or your mindset around it changed since living from that embodiment of the priestess? Like, what are like three things, or I don't know, you just answer that however you want, but <laughs> I guess I what I'm it. trying to ask is like, yeah, what have you released and what have you embodied? Mm, that's such a potent question. I think one of the main things that I have embodied or, well, let's say that I'm in the process of embodying because we're always women in process. Um, but it's the, it's the sacred activism, regenerative business piece. It's really understanding that our businesses 
can be more than just vehicles for individual freedom, you know, creating financial freedom and having freedom-based lifestyles, but actually that they can create social freedom. So you can really have a huge impact on, you know, my in my case, women in general, and then also planetary um, freedom as well. So for me, that looks like making sure that my business in its narratives and in its practices isn't perpetuating any social issues that I don't want it to unconsciously or consciously and also giving back. So part of my business structure, my business model, there's um, a percentage of revenue that goes to uh, reforestation projects around the globe. And this feels so aligned because, you know, as priestesses, we are stewardesses of Gaia, of Mother Earth. So mm-hmm. to ensure that really, yeah, that we're, we're looking at regeneration, not just on an individual level, but on a social and planetary level. And that's something that I don't see a lot of in the online space yet, but I know that it's coming. Um, and I think the priestess kind of fast tracked me to that. Mm-hmm. But I think it's voices like yours that are calling all of us to rise up and do the same and to remember the activism piece, because that's not talked about as much, at least from what I see. I see more of the, like you said, personal freedoms, like mm-hmm. X amount of money a month or whatever. And that's and that's okay. In fact, that's actually crucial. You know, it's only because I'm now in a, in a situation where I'm financially stable, I have a good home, um, I'm not worrying about paying my bills, you know, I have more than enough resources available to me. That means now that I'm, now that I'm no longer in survival, I have a lot more energy to kind of look at the bigger picture and understand, you know, that I can have a bigger impact upon the planet. Um, And I think people shy away from the activism piece because traditional activism has felt very, very heavy. When you think of traditional activists, um, I know a lot of activists and, you know, it's a lot. It's a lot for them. But the sacred activist piece is recognizing that um, activism can actually be a very joyful process. And it's really about um, stepping into the light. And, um, you know, when I'm holding space for my women in my programs for me that is sacred activism because the ripple effects from that are I don't even know if I'm ever going to be able to tangibly quantify it but that changes that's going to change the world um but bringing that sacred activism into like being really conscious of it I think is empowering because whatever you put your intention on, it intensifies. So that's why I speak about it. Mm. I love it. You're inspiring all of us just by being authentic to who you are. Isn't that the best feeling (laughs) when you feel like just by being in alignment with who you are, it encourages other people to do the same or to rise into their own authenticity too? Yes. Yeah, and I think authenticity is one of those buzzwords at the moment, um, and it's not always easy to be authentic. Um, again, it kind of goes hand in hand with bravery because not everyone's going to like what you have to say, but the truth is that you can uh, inspire people just by saying what you think, and you can also get paid by being yourself completely, 
And, you know, that's, that's such radical rebellion against a society that has taught you who you should be and how you should behave. Yes. I like all the shoulds you kept sticking in there. (laughs) Get rid of them, get them out. (laughs) Exactly. But I would bet, and I do this practice with my clients sometimes I have them write out, you know, everything they think they should do and then go back through and circle the ones that, that they never actually like consented to like things that were just put on them from some random person sometime in their life. And people probably write out 30, 40, 50 of them at a time. Wow. It's wild. Yeah. Like this, the stuff we carry around. Absolutely. And very often as well, I find that, you know, yes, we can leave corporate or academia or whatever structures, institutions that we're part of, but sometimes we recreate the the shoulds and that you know um cage when we start businesses or when we start another job um because it becomes so internalized and we don't even realize so a practice such as that is incredible because that's that illumination piece and suddenly it's there on the page and you can't ignore it anymore exactly and the illusion of comfort starts to wane because it was comfortable because familiar is comfortable yeah But then we're like horrified (laughs) when we realize what has really been governing our life, these old random beliefs. Yeah. And it's such a, it's so, it's so multi-layered and it's multifaceted and it's really, you know, it's like unraveling this, um, yeah, it's like unraveling a tapestry, Mm -hmm. but it's the only way when we want to experience freedom and also you know, start to pave the way for others. We we have to look at things that can very often feel very confronting. Mm-hmm. Very, <laughs> very, <laughs> very. As we know very well. <laughs> Maybe too well. I don't know, but <laughs> it's all worthwhile. But on that note, the next thing I was going to ask you was, where do people start when they are ready to live? the way of the priestess when they're ready to pull back all these layers they're ready to heal and um but they kind of feel overwhelmed right because everyone's like do it this way or definitely start meditating or you should do yoga where where is actually the place to start oh this is such a good question and two things immediately popped into my mind the first is that very often when we learn about this, we immediately want to go into doing mode. We're like, Mm -hmm. okay, I need to do something. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's meditating. Maybe I need to do yoga every day or whatever it is. And no, (laughs) we don't need to go. We don't need to go into doing mode. We want to invite more openness, more spaciousness and come into being and recognize that life is going to be giving you every single thing you need on this evolutionary journey your job as it were is to stay open to it so that you can see the signs the synchronicity the things that are coming your way so that you can receive you know life is like one massive medicine journey and really and um, I'm saying this because I've very recently had a San Pedro experience and um, you know whatever you need is coming your way So you don't necessarily have to go out there and do immediately. There's a time for that. But I would say what's far more potent, especially in the beginning, is to take space to observe, 
and look and see what's coming your way. You know, if you hear about something three times in a row, the, you know, in one week, like that's a sign, lean into that. Um, and then the second piece that came in is surround yourself with people who get it. Like that is the most important thing that we can do. And because, you know, otherwise it, it can feel really lonely and we can start to really question ourselves. But when we surround ourselves with people that make us feel sparkly, that light us up, um, it becomes a lot easier to follow this path. And the wonderful thing about the internet is that, you know, if you don't have them in your local community, then they're out there. Like get yourself in groups, you know, start interacting with people online and start having conversations with them offline. Um, this is, yeah, honestly, like I'm so grateful for the women in my life and the men, actually. There are lots of um, incredible men as well. Because it, you know, I can be myself more and more and more and they get it. And so we, we're ping-ponging with each other about concepts and things. And um, yeah, then you never feel quite so alone. Mm -hmm. Ooh, those were the best two suggestions you could have ever given. <laughs> One being don't fill your schedule thinking oh, you God. have to figure it out. Yeah, but that's like yeah. our natural instinct, right? Is like... It's like when I help women heal adrenal fatigue, their first thing they want to do is like structure their whole calendar with self-care. And I'm like, whoa, <laughs> we got to stop. Actually, we got to like pull back everything. It's like add it to the to-do list. Like exactly. our evolution should not be on a, on a to-do list. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And then the reminder to find your people, even if they don't exist, like you said, where they live. There's such cool people online and we all resonate with different people. And, um, you know, like you and I, for example, like I am grateful to have you in my like pocket of friends that I know get it where I can be like, Sarah, I'm having a big emotional breakdown. And you'd be like, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> let's dig in. Absolutely. And, you know, that's it's beautiful and sometimes it will mean kind of maybe joining group programs and other times it will be you know there'll be no money involved at all and you just find your person randomly because you decided to be brave and reach out and say hey I love what you spoke about there mm -hmm. and the connection begins exactly that's how it that's how we roll yeah <laughs> mm, thank you for that I think that's yeah, honestly, the best advice anyone could hear right now in this moment. Um, tell me about your book, because I know a lot of people that follow me have already ordered it, but more people obviously need to order it because <laughs> it's beautiful. It's a work of art, and I'm so proud of you for doing it and being so vulnerable. How scared were you to actually publish it? Uh, very, very. <laughs> the, the writing piece was very easy for me, you know, yeah. I'm a trained writer and it was it felt so good to write in a non-academic way it felt so good to just be able to let it flow through so that happened very very easily um but because I share a lot of very personal stories because I believe that sharing is not only medicine for me but also medicine for other people um the the process between it being with my publisher and then being published was like a portal of extra healing 
um, that I never imagined that it would be. I was having um, very intense dreams about ex-boyfriends and situations that I'd been in and um, was feeling very, very, uh, yeah, very fearful about it being out in the world. And then as soon as it dropped, as soon as it was published, it was like, poof, it was just, it's just meant to be out there. Whoa. So yeah, it was, I wasn't expecting that, um, but it was very, very, uh, very, very healing and very, very powerful. Yeah. And who would you say is the kind of person that could really benefit from your book and your story? Mm. So if you've been listening to this episode already and you're like, I love what these guys are talking about, like the book's for you. <laughs> But really, it's um, it's a, a call to arms. It's a memoir for any woman who feels stuck, who feels unmotivated, who motivated, or feels like there's something more for her, and she's just not sure what. And perhaps you feel a lot of self doubt. Perhaps you don't have a lot of clarity. Um, but there is this sense of. I want to live a meaningful life. I want to contribute and I want to um, move past my insecurities and move past my fear and, and experience more freedom uh, in my life. Then, yeah, then the book will definitely um, give you some nuggets of wisdom and some codes that you can start to play with and embody. Mm-hmm. It definitely did for me. I can really attest to that. And your stories, like, sadly, there's a lot of stories that most women know too well. Mm -hmm. And yeah, again, it was illuminating and helpful for me and releasing things as well from the past. Wow, absolutely. And that was one of the reasons why, you know, one story in particular, I was in um, an, a relationship that turned physically violent and abusive. And I, I knew that story had to be in there. And it doesn't play a huge, it's not like a huge prominent part of the book, but it's in there. And it needed to be in there because I recognized that there are still, I mean, less so now, but there are still some subjects that are quite taboo. And there are still things that women are scared of talking about for fear of the repercussions. But I know if I had read something like that back then, I would have recognized myself in that situation and I probably would have been able to get out a lot sooner. Exactly. Yes. The silence around the topic is what keeps so many women stuck. So, yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I admire your courage. I've told you publishing a book is on my, my radar. Do if it. I, we I want do. it. <laughs> oh, thank you. I, my partner is so great. He's like, I'm booking you an Airbnb for two weeks. So you'll just like not have any distractions and can finish it. And I'm like, okay. Oh. Uh, but um, yeah, you inspire me so much. And your story is incredible. And I'm excited for more people to get your book. And you said it's The Way of the Priestess. Yeah. Um, and it's on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. And it's everywhere, right? It's everywhere. Everywhere online, pretty much that you can buy books. So you're kind of a big deal is what you're telling me. I would love to think so, but no. <laughs> no, I just pay them. <laughs> no, I just pay them. <laughs> I just pay them. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, you are a big deal. So we'll just, we'll just, yeah, conclude that. Mm. I'm so grateful for this conversation and this reminder that healing is always possible, that the breadcrumbs are there, that 
you know, permission that you don't have to see the full finish line to actually just take the first step. Um, and that reminder that we are the portal, that the feminine is so powerful. Is there anything that you'd like to add to that or any final bits of wisdom you think someone needs to hear? Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, that anything that you desire, anything at all, is a cosmic nudge. And your desires are holy and lean into them because they will take you to where you are supposed to go. Mm. Well, that's a wisdom drop. (laughs) (laughs) Mic drop. (laughs) Dang. Okay. What a way to conclude this. (laughs) Taking that. I am taking that and receiving that. Mm. Where can people connect with you, Sarah? And is there anything that you want to share that you're offering right now or anything fun and exciting? So the best place to connect to with me to me uh, with me is on Instagram. You can go to um, Dr. Sarah Coxon, and yeah, send me a message. Let me know what really resonated about this um, this conversation. For me, you know, social media is about really having conversations. So I love it when you guys slide into my DMs. So you can check me out there. I also have a podcast called The Way of the Priestess Podcast. So if this subject matter really inspired you, then you can check out that podcast as well. And then there are a lot of, um, yeah, there are nearly 60 episodes now. So a lot of juiciness there. And you can also um, go to my website, www.drsarahcoxon.com. Fabulous. And your podcast is amazing. Is that, I think that's how we initially chatted, right? It was, I came on your podcast forever ago. Yeah, but I think we chatted before then. And then we said, oh, we should have recorded this. And then we recorded another one. (laughs) That's right. We had a quick like Zoom tea session. That was it. Yeah. And we were like, we should have recorded this. (laughs) That's right. Oh my gosh. That was so long ago. I know. Here we are. Yeah. Yeah. Well, truly, Sarah, thank you so much for your wisdom and for your incredible mission in the world. We all see you and admire you and are so grateful that you exist. So thank you. Thank you. And thank you so much for having me on the show and also for the work that you're doing in the world. You are equally incredible. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And thank you to all of you for listening in today. If this really resonated with you, please tag us on Instagram at Menstruation Queen and at Dr. Sarah Coxon. We love to see your feedback. And who knows if we get enough (laughs) messages and, and shares, maybe we'll just bring Sarah back for a part two. So until next week, my friends, thank you for being here. 